0: You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, and co-host of Fox Hills Location, Location, Location Australia.
1: And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner, mortgage broker, and wealth coach.
0: And together, we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property.
1: Veronica will introduce our guest in a moment, and I can tell you that you'll want to listen on to find out what you need to know before you buy into a strata scheme to not only protect yourself from buying a bad property, but to best prepare for the experience of owning one.
2: Sometimes when there are defects, um, the newer buildings, you know, it can be quite stressful because there's a lot of, you know, you're dealing with lawyers and, and, and because you have got, the levies are getting so much higher because you've got to pay for expert reports and you know, lawyers, it, you know, it gets really hard, I on people and it can make people more sort of frustrated and aggressive more than they would normally be.
1: Please stick around for this week's Elephant Rider Bootcamp. And we have a cracking Dumbo of the Week coming up. Before we get started, everything we talk about on this podcast is generally nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking.
0: In this episode, we're picking the brains of Rena Van Alst, founder and managing director of Strata Central located at Edgecliff in Sydney. And Strata Central's mission is to provide boutique strata management services and solutions with old fashioned quality service, which is quite nice these days. Reena started her working life as a pharmacist before getting into the strata industry and climbing the ladder and ultimately fulfilling the role of general manager and licensee in charge of a multi-award winning strata company in Sydney. Now, she's not naming it in her bio. I think I know who it is and they're huge. During that time, she also completed her Master's of Professional Accounting, which is quite a useful um uh, Bank of knowledge for a strata manager I would think and we'll may get into that a bit more Rena is a regular guest on the podcast your strata property I think that's sort of underselling what you do there Rena. I you know you're on every second week right yes I think every fortnight we're on together there you go and you're also currently a member of the rei strata management chapter in New South Wales. Yes. In this episode, we want to get a greater understanding of the role a strata manager plays and get her insights into how buyers can avoid buying into problem buildings. And thank you so
1: much for joining us, Rena.
0: Thank you for having me, Veronica.
1: Thank you, Rena. Appreciate you uh, giving us some of your time. I you mean, know, strata for a lot of people isn't very sexy. Oh. And because of that, it's something that they don't really think about too much. And so, you know, I guess my first question is, is there's a lot to kind of consider when you're buying into a property that's managed by strata. And what sort of additional kind of due diligence should buyers be doing to stop them buying into buildings that have got a lot of problems? Well,
2: I think the first thing that a buyer should do is obviously get a strata search and and try and spend a bit more money on that search if possible, because a lot of strata searches contain very standard information, you know, the last AGM minutes, whether there's insurance, bylaws, et cetera. But really the communication that occurs mainly in strata by um, office is usually by email and unfortunately strata search is never ever asked to see emails mm. and i think to myself well this is where all the information is contained if a building is well run or there's disharmony that is where you're going to see the information the standard of strata management in terms of record keeping is variable what we find when we take over records from other companies is that they haven't saved all the documents in say their document management system or it hasn't mm-hmm. been printed out in the files So they're still using physical files so When you're looking for a document you think well hang on there's an email there but where's the attachment you don't check the emails so what's happening to the reports correspondence you know um, defect reports so a lot of that sometimes is not there in the search
1: because strata is usually for buildings where there's multiple owners. That's you know, correct. Units and you know what are all the different types of stratas? I guess for for yeah. For so
2: basically, um, you can have straight residential. You have you can have mixed use where you have commercial and residential, which again is another sort of can of worms. If you've got restaurants, I think people don't realise when you're buying into those types of things, even though they may sound attractive. You know, lifestyle. You have got a restaurant downstairs, but unfortunately, restaurants do come with, with problems, which we can yeah. probably discuss later. Um, and <laughs> then there's also... <laughs> I could just k- k- rats, <laughs> yes. garbage, smells. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, garbage is the main thing. They they dump all their rubbish into the residential bins. The other thing is what we call building management committees where you have multiple entities. So you have two or more strata schemes or what we call a stratum lot, which is a lot not subdivided. Like a car park, for example, it could be one lot owned by a commercial entity. For example, I'd manage in Bondi Junction Eastgate cost share, which is basically we've got council as a member. Yep. We have shopping centre as another member and then we have the residential component. So then there's an overriding arching entity that would basically look after all the shared services that three entities would normally have to contribute to, such as insurance, fire, etc. or a lift perhaps that will go from the bottom all the way up. So that lift is traversing through three different legal entities.
1: So if you own an apartment in that Eastgate, mm. and I know about the council actually because yeah. I once got a parking ticket for parking <laughs> in, the, in the council car park, oh, yeah. which I'm pretty sure everyone at Eastgate has done. Uh, <laughs> but if I own a bu- an apartment in that building and there's something wrong with the building, are you saying there's like multiple stakeholders now?
2: Well, basically the first entity you would refer to is is the residential strata scheme, but then that may not be in their control. It may have to go to what we call a cost share committee, which is the equivalent of a building management committee because that was established way before that legislation came into being. So, yeah, it can. people don't realise that when you're buying into these entities, you don't just search the records of the strata plan. You need to search the records of this overriding building management committee as well. And some lawyers don't really understand that they've got to do both Yeah, because there are levies that we have to pay towards That entity, as well as levies to run the building, so you're not just paying levies for one entity. You're paying levies towards your own building and any shared services that the building is forms part of. And that's the same with community title, exactly, or community association. I think it's called, right? Yeah, yeah. So community association is pretty much horizontal living, and then again, you have what we call community association property, which is normally defined as lot one. That could include, you know gardens, lawns, in some cases a country club, a swimming pool, mm-hmm. roads, which is can be quite costly. So that's, a, again, a different form of ownership. But, again, it's like we call, we call it horizontal living because it's like you know, individual houses where they take responsibility for their repairs and maintenance as opposed to being part of an owner's corporation and
0: contributing to what we call common property expenses. The complexity that a lot of buyers don't understand and When people are buying an apartment, for instance, they think they're buying just into a building with other residential properties, but often that is not the case, is it?
2: No, it depends on the type of of development they're buying into. If it's a mixed-use development, then obviously they're buying into several entities, what we call a building management committee. That means that you may have what we call a stratum lot or two strata plans sharing shared services, and therefore all owners have to contribute By way of apportionment, that's determined again at the beginning of the development being registered and levies towards that. So they're buying into their own development and building as well as contributing to the overall arching entity that governs the use of shared services.
1: And the issues with that is that you know what you're looking at might be the strata report for the residential building, but behind the scenes, there's all these other entities that have an impact on you as an investor that you might just completely not have any idea about, you know. Exactly.
2: Well, unless it's referred to in the minutes. Let's say the minutes don't refer to a building management committee update, which they should because normally when when we manage buildings, we make sure that we put an update in the minutes to reflect what's happened at that entity. Yeah. But if there's nothing in the minutes, then how does any buyer know that this this forms part of a building management committee where there's further costs and further responsibilities that are involved?
1: Oh, wow. So, (laughs) I mean, how does a, a buyer even... I'm, you know, let's say I'm my first ever purchase, I haven't bought a property before Mm. and I'm thinking about buying this unit, you know, where do I, what do I do? What would be the process you would go through to make sure that absolutely everything you need to know, so before you put an offer in?
2: So I think the first thing I would do is obviously ask recommendations, say from, from my lawyer, if I have a good lawyer, as to who should do a strata report and also find out more information about the entity. Like you you might even do a quick Google search, might even give you some information. You'd be surprised what you find on Google. And ask the lawyer, like, are there any other entities that override because this isn't a shopping centre or there are. I can notice this big car park that's, you know, secure car park down there. Is this, you know, this is part of the building. How do I know what happens with all the um, structures governing this building? So you need to probably look at it physically and say, you know, Am I buying into a standalone building, or is there more to it? Okay. And get your and hopefully the lawyers should understand building management committees. Some of them
1: don't. Are all lawyers equal? That's what I was thinking. There, yeah, would you go to a family solicitor who may be doing conveyancing a couple of times a month?
2: Yeah. No. I mean, I wouldn't. But then again, I mean, some who knows if some family law- lawyers might know more than conveyance. I don't really know because I mean, sometimes lawyers have varying levels of experience and expertise. Yeah, and I of suppose they do have their. The Law Society does have credited, you know, like specialists in property and and family yeah. law if you need one, unfortunately. But um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so I think it might be a good idea to do your research in terms of the type of conveyancing that the lawyer yeah. or conveyancer has done. I mean, have they been involved in multifaceted type developments where, you know, it's not just a straight strata scheme that someone's buying into?
1: I mean, that- that's a mistake I've seen some clients make and they've engaged a solicitor or a conveyancer and they've gone for the cheap and cheerful nine yes. ninety all-inclusive, yeah. oh, it's just a contract, how hard's that? And they get the contract reviewed and then I'm in this constant game of cat and mouse trying to get the conveyance. They won't answer phone calls no. and they're so busy because they're so cheap And it just ends up this, you know. Yeah, well,
2: I remember I used to manage quite a large community association out at Newington and we had many, many bylaws in the community management statement. And all the people didn't even know that they were there. They would, you know, add an air conditioning unit to their house and next minute we had to send them a breach notice. And what we found out was the buyers that actually spent, you know, a couple of thousand dollars on a lawyer would get all that community management statement outlined to them and explained to them. Mm. And they understood that you couldn't just do certain things. Whereas unfortunately, like you're saying, you know, you Hey, what's that? Sorry, that's saying no, it's it's get Monkeys, get monkeys. Get monkeys yeah, yeah, sorry. Um gorillas, maybe. Um
1: monkeys have been harmed.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So unfortunately, if you don't if you're spending a lot of money on property, which is something I really don't understand, this sort of penny-wise pound foolish mentality where, mm. you know, people will spend like, you know, an hour driving to the outside of Sydney, you know, to go to Costco to save, you know hundred dollars or whatever, but when it comes to, to buying a, a property, they just worry about spending that extra couple of grand when you're spending over a million dollars, if not two million dollars on a property. I mean, yeah. if you just work out the um, mathematics on, on on that equation, it's a no-brainer. It
0: is phenomenal. In mm. fact, uh, you know, I've just recently been really, really thinking about this because also in a lot of the Banking Royal Commission, I know we're segueing here and going down a bit different path. We'll come back to Strata in a sec, but Banking Royal Commission talking about all these really Poor, sad people Mm. who have believed in spruikers and financial planners and been sold dreams, and there's a lot of this in property, particularly with brand new, you know, they've been sold this get-rich-quick scheme or sold this, you know, you can leverage up the property ladder quick, quick, quick. And I think to myself, why are you abdicating the responsibility for being critical and questioning whether really these vehicles are going to get you really where you want to be. And I think that it comes back down to this wishful thinking, you know, that people would rather be sold to because it sounds better, it sounds sexier, and it's more hopeful than actually be really practical and spend the appropriate amount of money on their due diligence. And and I don't know the answer to that because Mm. in my business at the moment, I'm thinking, how do I help those people? Can they be helped? Do they want to be helped? Mm. Anyway, that's another episode there. But you're right,
2: you're <laughs> right, Veronica,
0: because, I mean, I think people
2: spend more money when they're even buying a car, which is, yes. uh, again, a fraction of the cost. People will get, test drive it. They'll, yeah. you know, look at the reviews. They'll go to this dealership and that, negotiate. Whereas it comes to property, as you've said, I think, on one of your previous podcasts, people just, that, that whole sort of mindset
0: just seems to run out the window. You can actually test drive a car for an entire weekend. Nobody <laughs> I mean, test drives a, ca- a house or oh, yeah. apartment for a week. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, how long do you spend for an open in- inspection when you go into for an inspection of an apartment? Yep. Sometimes not even half an hour. Yeah. There have been people that bought a property. I've known them. You know, when I was selling, although we used to do forty-five minute inspections back in the old days. Yeah. But but yeah, people would come through one expe- inspection and they have bought a house or an apartment. Outrageous. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and I think that comes out of. You know, if you've been looking for six months or three months and you've been to 100 open homes and you've missed out on three places, you are so desperate to buy something and then finally something comes on and you think it ticks all the boxes, you're going through these rose-coloured glasses, this is yes. the perfect property, you're in and then the agent's kind of telling you what you want to hear and then it all happens extremely fast and then that might be the Saturday. You might be making offers Saturday afternoon, haven't done all your due diligence, your contract checking, et cetera. You've already committed to buying it mentally Yeah, you slept on Saturday night, Sunday night, Monday morning. You don't even want to go and look at it again. You don't slow down. And in a hot market, I think that's what a lot of people <laughs> have yeah. done. And it's not till they get the keys six weeks later.
0: The pre settlement inspection is usually yeah. the, the reality check. Oh, is that what I bought? Yeah, and the water doesn't. Act, the water pressure is so low, and things like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. Stuck with it. So we went back to Strata, I think that's quite interesting. What you're talking about at Newington, that you really could see the difference between those purchases that had got the correct advice and the right advice at the outset, not only did they, obviously they still bought into the scheme, it didn't stop them buying no. into the scheme, but they were more educated and had their expectations set better. Exactly. So that's obviously going to lead itself to a better experience as an owner as well, as, that's as right. well as getting on with your neighbours better. Yeah, because a lot of community associations actually have an architectural
2: code, which is why they all have a certain look and that's why you buy into them So because you obviously like that look and you want to maintain the values. And when people start putting things that detract or conflict with the architectural code, that's when a lot of the problems begin. A lot of people don't even know there is an architectural code. I mean, Mm -hmm. it even dictates sometimes what colour blinds you can have, what type of pebbles you can have, what type of plants you can have in the garden. So if you don't know you're buying into that, I mean, you might like it and you think, oh, this is lovely, and then you start pulling things out and, Roses in when it's supposed to be, you know, Australian natives, for example, and then you know you get a letter from the strata manager, and then you know there's obviously people don't like getting letters saying you know you've done the wrong thing when you think that you're doing the right thing. You're yeah. trying to beautify your own property, um, but unfortunately it doesn't work like that, and and you're right, expectations are then affected because you think oh hang on, I thought I was buying this house yeah. for me and now I can't mm. put the plants that I like. And it's,
1: and it's a small issue really but it's you still feel like it's a big issue to you because you didn't know about it and exactly. you probably should have known about mm. it but you don't know about it. And then yeah. you still have to pay this million-dollar mortgage and you're in this exactly. house and you've got this negative yeah. feeling towards it and it yeah. exactly. Yeah, it spiraling. puts a bad
2: taste in your mouth I yeah. think when yeah. that happens.
1: You made a really interesting line there where you said to track the value of the property and keep the value of the property and invest into the property. Yeah. What's your experience when some buildings are bought mainly by investors and investors generally want to minimize the cost on the investment because they want to pay off their home loan and live a good life and those sort of things. Those type of buildings where vast majority are owned by investors that sometimes get run down. Have, have you seen that before? Oh, yeah,
2: definitely. And I think in the buildings where you have the majority of investors, the maintenance of the building is lacking because, mm. unfortunately, there are only a few usual owner-occupiers and and when you don't have any buy-in from the majority of the owners who want to invest and who want to maintain their property values, that becomes a problem. But in community associations, for example, in some of the clauses contained in the community management statement, they have to paint. So we've had yeah. success where someone doesn't want to paint their house and, you know, the paint's falling, you know, the timber work's rotting. You know, we just go in there, we write to them, we say, if you don't, it's actually stronger than a council, really. Wow. We write, we've written to them. If they don't listen and they don't, we give them like 14 days. We don't want them to paint in 14 days. We want obviously a commitment to say paint within the next three to six months. because obviously we understand that the financial commitment to do so. And then when they don't to do that, we go to mediation if we have to do it at Fair Trading, and you know, and eventually we've gotten orders where that makes them do it. So,
1: and Could it is you stride, force them to sell the house?
2: We can if they don't pay their levies. Usually, there's we've had a few bankruptcies, but usually what I find at the last minute they get the money. We haven't had to actually bankrupt anyone. It's gotten very close. We've yep. been in the federal court bankruptcy proceedings, and it's costs a lot of money because mm. you're in that jurisdiction. But unfortunately, I think people don't really understand, you know, levies and the whole thing, and they may fall into financial hardship. I don't know. Sometimes people just don't want to pay. They don't see value in the yep. levies. And so unfortunately.
1: Well, that's right. If, if the benefits, not so much benefiting them, but exactly. it's benefiting the building yeah. and it's benefiting other neighbors more than them. That's exactly you know, right. They say, well, what am I getting?
2: Exactly. That's exactly the words I use. What am I getting out of this? Like yeah. I
0: pay all these levies and what do I get? It's really funny, isn't it? Because I heard this, I think Amanda said this in one of her episodes, or I think yeah. it was one that she's with you, about you're buying into a democracy. Yes. Maybe you said it. Yeah. And I'd never heard that before and I thought, wow, that is so true, isn't it? And in fact, a lot of buyers say to me, oh, I don't want to buy into strata because I don't want to have other people having a say over what I can and can't do. And I think if you know that going in, and that's probably a good Person not to buy into strata, exactly. <laughs> but for those that are buying unwittingly, just they don't know what they don't know. I think that's important that they really need to understand. They've got to play their part exactly. They've got to toe the line.
2: Well, the act requires the owners corporation to maintain and repair common properties, so it's a statutory effect in the legislation that makes the owners corporation do so. So we've had instances just recently where. I had an apartment, there was a, a leak from the roof membrane above and what had happened, the re- membrane had been repaired by the Ennis Corporation at, at great expense, but then there was a contractor who I think put some anchor points or did something and they pierced the membrane. This resulted in water penetration into this apartment and unfortunately the previous managing agent just you know, didn't attend to it, you know, this, this owner then had to vacate her tenant she was living, you know, in sort of in the country. She was having to come down to Sydney, and you know, travel expenses, accommodation expenses, um, like nearly fifty thousand dollars later. You know, assuming the owners' corporation, yeah. and basically the owners' corporation had to settle, had to pay her. And because you have to repair and maintain common property, and if someone suffers loss and damage as a result. Of that negligence of the owner's corporation to do so, then now there are the avenues of, of, of recovery are much stronger now than they were even in the previous legislation, so right. consequential damage, for example, to your furniture, like let's say there's a leak mm. before that let would say, well, you've got to pay for that now, no, it's, it's a consequence of you not
0: fixing that that <coughs> membrane so and I think the important thing to note there is that the roof is common property. It's That's not exact. just belonging to the penthouse. Exactly. You know, it actually is the roof of the entire building. That's and, right. And if the penthouse leaks, ultimately the next one down is going to leak and so on exactly. throughout the building. Uh, and I guess the bottom, the ground floor apartment's going to be saying, oh, I don't want to spend money on that because mm. it doesn't affect me. Yeah, or I don't
2: use the lift. <laughs> so why do I pay, have to pay towards lift maintenance? I'm on the ground floor. For Although, example,
0: isn't, the, isn't that factored into the unit entitlement? Yeah, so the
2: value of the lot at registration of the strata plant is valued and is ascertained at that point. So unit entitlement reflects a value. So the value is market value, not sort of square meterage. So yeah. you might have tiny apartment at the top with views, it may be the same unit entitlement as a ground floor apartment with three bedrooms, for example. So yep. it's based on market value. So, yeah, so the unit entitlement is still less, but you're contributing towards something that in your mind you don't mm. use. Whereas living in Strata, it's communal living and, you know, you've got to share expenses. Sometimes, you know, you pay more for this, less for that, but it's all swings and roundabouts really.
1: I guess when you're buying into these buildings and as an investor, let's say, and as Strata management companies managing it, yeah. Aren't you at the mercy of how good they are? To
2: a large extent, you are. And unfortunately, sometimes, you know, we've had to resign from buildings when when they don't actually fulfil their statutory duties or they try and do things outside the law. Because as an agent, you're also liable. If the AS corporations get sued, you could also be sued as an agent. And in, I mean, we try and make sure that we document everything in writing. We tell people, you've got to repair this, this owner's been coming. You've got to raise a special levy. We don't have enough funds. But unfortunately, we've got three quotes now. They're all in this magnitude. We have to have a general meeting. We have to raise a special levy if we don't have the funds because unfortunately, you know, that owner can then take action against the owner's corporation. So, and some buildings just don't want to spend any money and they're and they're fighting And there. I mean, I've got one particular development, which is a small one, and it's all about a work health and safety report, which had been approved at the AGM, but they don't remember approving it. And one particular person doesn't want to have it. And we should be exempt. We're not, you know, this is not commercial. And I said, no, it's about your common law duties in terms of mitigating the insurer's risk because obviously if there's something that affects their risk and we were not attending to it as an notice corporation, they can reduce the limit of their liability towards contributing to any payout if there's an insurance claim. And people have actually died. I had someone... In Queensland, in, not in a building that we used to manage, but our company used to manage, and basically I think someone had put wooden planks over a hole that they were still working on and right. she fell in and she ah. actually died. I mean, mm. and so again, what can you, what are you gonna imagine what's going to happen when, yeah. you know, so unfortunately the ramifications of, Work health and safety, and for contractors coming to do work on the common property, that is their workplace, we have to make sure it's safe. Like yeah. like we would, in any of our offices, make sure our, our workplace is safe for our employees. Or well, for contractors, the owners' corporation has to make sure that, that the common yeah. property that the contractors are coming to do work on is safe. Even though they have their own insurance, that doesn't limit mm. the
0: liability of the owners' mm. corporation. So, so if you've got a situation where you've got owners that are reticent or resistant to spending money to maintain the building or do or follow through with these uh, compliance measures that they need to do, you will resign.
2: Yeah, Yeah. definitely. I mean, if if that building puts us at risk, then there's no point, there's no amount of money that's going to be worth it, especially when you know like you can see the writing on the wall sometimes and you think it's not worth it. I mean, you don't want to be associated with these types of buildings. You don't want to manage people that don't want to look after their investments. And you don't want to buy into them either. No, exactly.
0: (laughs) What are the signs, do you think, a buyer can see, I mean I, I've got my own ideas on this but I'd love yeah. to hear from you, what are the signs that a buyer can look for when they're actually going to a building to inspect an apartment? I think they should probably look at the last few AGM minutes, not just. Before they even get to the, oh, okay. the, the strata report. Do you think that there are giveaways oh. at the property itself? Yeah, I think so. I mean you can see if a building is
2: tired, if it's dirty, if there's, you know, like paint coming off. Sometimes you can get a general feel of a building that's neglected versus one that's well-maintained. I mean, I've been in some buildings in the foyer in York and you walk in, it's just, you know, it may not be brand new, but it's. Clean, yeah. it's gleaming. You can see there are signs saying the lift about people putting rubbish. So you can see that there's someone cares, there's a care yeah, factor there. That's a good point. Whereas sometimes in some buildings you, you walk in there and you just feel like dust in the corner. Obviously the cleaner hasn't got to it or a light's not working. Uh, yeah. I mean it may have just happened that weekend, but you don't know. Sometimes a light could be out for two or three weeks. Mm. And the committees, you know, saying, Oh, well, that electrician's cheaper than that one. And I'm thinking, this is urgent. Like if someone falls over it because it's dark after hours. And you know, we need to get
0: this fixed. And so I think Chris earlier was alluding to this idea that there's obviously there's a lot of buildings out there where you've either had a lot of, you know, I don't disparage against elderly people, but mm. so often when there's a lot of pensioners, they don't have a lot of spare cash, right? Yeah. So they're not going to be voting for special levies or increasing the capital work That's for exactly right. Sake. Yeah. And then if you've got buildings where a lot of elderly people and a lot of investors have owned and not a lot of younger or working owner occupiers. Yes. So there's often that lack of attention to this ongoing well, it's investment funny. Actually, in the building. I manage a building in Randwick that's exactly got that composition of owners mm. and investors you were referring
2: to, Veronica. And unfortunately, thank God the chairperson, who is one of the younger person who's working, has said that when I took them over, they had like $1,000 in their in their trust account. 1000 yep. They were paying their insurance off by instalments. I had to get a loan mm. through the insurance broker to pay their insurance premium. And that's how bad it was. And I said mm. to them, sorry, but... This cannot continue. Mm. You know, I did a whole budget. I, I went line by line. I went through every single contract. I explained every single figure and how it was calculated. So people understood. And once they understood, then her and I were able to then impart that to all the owners. I mean, some were obviously reluctant because mm. they said, well, you know, like they're asset rich and cash poor, mm. unfortunately, because... As people get older, they don't have the liquid assets. But they also understood that their asset, and in some cases, a lot of owners had water penetration through the balconies and some of these pensioners were affected. And and in a sense, when it comes to their thing, they could see, well, maybe I need to. All of a sudden, they're motivated. Yeah, exactly. So um, unfortunately, sometimes you need those types of experiences where people are suffering themselves for water or any other damage to get them motivated to try and raise levy. So now, I mean, the levies went up like, let me tell you, like they, they went up threefold. You yeah. have to, yeah. Huge. Mm. And again, someone is trying to keep them low, even made disparaging remarks about myself and the chairperson in an effort to try and yeah. reduce them. And finally, we were able to explain again, you know, every line item. What works. Money's we-
1: not getting spent. It's only going to the kitty and the kitty's yeah. going to be used for the building. Yeah, but we have so money
2: that we need to spend. There is water yeah. penetration <laughs> to garages, into apartments. I mean, water yeah. is horrible. It's mold, damp, especially with this recent rain we've had. Water is A the worst, worst thing in the building. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it you know, it could cause long term uh, damage. Long term damage. Because mm. it can cause concrete cancer. Yeah. Mm.
0: yeah. And that's the worst thing, that you know, that you really want in a building because of the cost of getting into that and chasing it oh. into, into the floors of every single apartment. Exactly. a nightmare. But I often think, you know, I look at these buildings and I think sometimes there are opportunities for new people to get in and you can see that there's going to be a change of the guard. Yes. So there is a great opportunity to buy in as long as you get that apartment cheap enough. Yes. Because you are paying for the sins of the fathers in the sense that the previous owners have got away scot-free. They've sold out and they've never really paid – yeah. appropriate levies and so if you buy into a building like that in a boom you're probably going to be overpaying yeah if you buy into a building like that now when it's harder to sell stuff like that it could be a real opportunity if you can see that you know what I think someone else has recently bought in particular if you look and say okay for the last five years there's a couple of new owners in that building, and I buy in. I'm going to bandy up with them, and yeah. <laughs> hopefully, we'll, you know, we'll lead a charge. Yeah, that's a, a great idea. Actually, it's good to know, um, Veronica. Yeah, I wasn't aware. Like, because obviously,
2: I'm on the other side of things, so I, I only know when something is being sold, not mm. not that whole sort of market type thing that you're you're referring to. So,
1: well, an interesting thing a client's doing at the moment. He's got a you know a block of six units. He's got one of the unit in the six in Dover Heights. Yeah, and. He's gone out the front, he's got a little yard, and out the back they're on the cliff. So, so wow. they've all kind of come up with this little agreement, because there's only six in the block, mm. and they're all doing a trade. So one's getting the front yard, one's splitting the backyard, Ooh, one's getting the roof that. space. Wow. And then there's one person that doesn't really get much, yeah. but they're going to get cash.
0: Oh, and that's so great. That's very great. Evolved, yeah
1: And now it's the... You know, and they're having to kind of talk each other through it and they're all kind of making deals and it's like dragging people in the in the hallway who make want to ah. make a deal here. And so I mean that's the power of you know, smaller <laughs> yeah. developments. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. Well I mean I live in a block of six apartments and we did a similar thing many years ago. We actually live in a company title building. So there's another form of Ooh, ownership. It is, yes. <laughs> where the company actually owns a building and you're just a shareholder that basically owns X amount of shares that allows you to live in this particular apartment and take care of this garage, et cetera. That's another another. I love your
0: terminology. It's so professional. Of instead yeah. of just use the garage, yeah, that's right.
2: <laughs> it's not really yours, you only have shares, remember? I love it, Take it's, like, carry it's, like, it's like being a shareholder in Woolies. No, it's not. Um, anyway, you don't get to use that short in Woolies, though, <laughs> exactly. That's right, shelf. exactly. You're lucky to get a discount. And we decided many years ago that we would extend everyone's balconies out to the perimeter of the building, so some people got a little bit of space, some have got a lot of space, but mm. unfortunately, you don't go out, so we didn't give anyone cash because everyone got something. Some people yep. got more than others, but that's a great way. But for, I think for us, we had to obviously change it. You know, the, the shareholding ch- stayed the same, but obviously it's a different form of getting it over the line because obviously you know with companies you are regulated by the Corporations Act, I'm not the smart schemes. Another. Now, oh, you've okay. seen
1: lots of developments and lots of different builders. From mm. you've got the big big names out there that did yep. lots of big buildings. You've got the kind of little kind of developers that are doing maybe their first building and maybe they've done 10. Yeah, A lot of people say if if you're buying a new building, you know, you should always review the developer and make sure they're established and make sure they're a good builder. Yeah, Does that really make a difference?
2: It does to an extent, but all the big companies, whether it's, you know, Mervac or Brown or any of them, they, they actually use shelf companies for development. So they establish another company, so you're not actually... The head company is not the one that you're buying from. It's another shelf company that that they actually established that you're buying from.
1: Just in case it doesn't go well so they can close it.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Mm. (laughs) Um, But, I mean, obviously there's the actors now looking at, you know, bonds for developers, et cetera. So that's a new area of the law that's being put in to try and give owners some recourse in the event of defects. But the more reputable developers and builders will always come back and they will always, you know, like, You'll obviously have to get a report and it'll be a bit of argy-bargy, but overall high-quality developments, um, usually minimal defects that are structural because the structural ones are the ones that are costly, not the cosmetic-type ones. And they'll usually come back whereas some of these other builders that are new, it's all about, you know, getting it out there, getting it built, record time. and and, sold. Exactly. Mm. And, I mean, some people, what they've bought, you know, there's cracks in slabs, there's water coming in everywhere. Over a million, like 800,900. You know, I'm thinking, my god, it's just so much money to pay. And then they're paying all these levies because, in order to take the developer to court or the builder, I mean, you need you know lawyers, you need consultants, and and even though this is occurring, you've still got to maintain the common property. So, someone there was actually a legal case where someone said, Okay, that's fine, you're doing that, but I'm getting water penetration, you need to fix my damage. Yeah. How you deal with the developer and the builder. Is something that mm. will have happen eventually, but can also affect your rights. If you're fixing stuff, they should have fixed. Where does that?
1: So, so, would you prefer to manage an older kind of 1960s, 70s building with n20 apartments, or a new 2005 hundred apartments? Um, I think
2: it. It varies. It depends on the people, really. I I find that I like working with people and if you have a good committee and people are committed to, you know, it's a harmonious building, well run, people look after the asset, they want to make sure they comply with the Act and do all the right things. I I don't care if it's eight lots or 150 or 300. As long as, you know, people are – sometimes when there are defects um, for the newer buildings, you know, it can be quite stressful because there's a lot of, you know, you're dealing with lawyers and and, and because you've got – the levies are getting so much higher because you've got to pay for expert reports and you know, lawyers, it, you know, it gets really hard, I think, on people and it can make people more sort of frustrated and aggressive more than they would normally be under yeah, normal circumstances. under pressure.
0: Under pressure, yeah. And I would imagine that there's a lot of first home buyers buying into new buildings, yes, largely because governments keep pushing them in that direction, which yeah. I really wish the governments would stop doing, but that's a, <laughs> another topic for another podcast. <laughs> so you've got a lot of first home buyers who've scraped together every cent that they have in order to buy the place in the first place. You know, where do they get the money for the, the special levies? Well, that's the problem. I mean, I remember in my building we had a huge levy at
2: one stage and, you know, like if you don't have 30000 sitting in the mm. bank like that, yeah, they have to, unfortunately, you know, use credit card debt or borrow from someone. I mean, sometimes they, they can be quite huge. And you're right, people yes. have scraped through or someone's just had a you know a child and they're just, you know, like temporarily out of the workforce and something happens. So I think, yeah, I can understand it would be quite stressful when, you know, you weren't expecting that to happen and it does happen. That's why, again, you come back to the strata search that you mentioned before on um, your recent video, Veronica. You've got to make sure you do research and and, and understand that, uh, what is the potential for a special levy? What is the potential for levies going up? Is this something I should know about in this building that maybe I can afford in the next one or two years, but who knows if it triples or, you know, sometimes, mm. you know, you can, you know, there are there, are, there is information there yep. and you see people complaining about stuff that's not fixed. You know, you think, well, well eventually it's got to be done. What are we thinking about in
0: costs? Yeah, have they made any inquiries or investigations into what's needed to be done and how much that might cost. I mean, mm. I see that in strata reports where yeah. there's always whinging about stuff, no evidence has been addressed in any way and so it just could be a monstrous can of worms. But what about a new building because there's none of that history? Yeah, exactly, and that's a problem too
2: because um, now developers have to provide a, what we call a maintenance schedule, so it's got to provide every single asset and how it's maintained and, and the cost of maintenance. So is but that like the capital fund? Forecast. Yeah, it's yeah. A, yeah. So you, I remember mm. you referred to that, and you're right about that. We'll talk about that in, in a moment. But um, it's yeah, it's basically like a maintenance schedule of, of all the assets of the building and how it's going to be maintained and contracts, etc. So to an extent, it sort of is like the starting point of that. Mm. Because whereas the capital fund forecast that you referred to in your recent LinkedIn video talks about what we have to raise every year, and and even though yeah, you're right, it is compulsory to have this anyone can repair it not even a quantity surveyor at times mm-hmm. and you're right some people get you know the cheapest report I mean I've had reports where it talks about things that aren't even in that building like one report <laughs> talked about sail shade awning I'm thinking there's no sail shade so they, they use this talk about
0: a template exactly Just, A know, template document, right. and you yeah. think oh my god like how accurate is this but it's like when I see a contract to sale and in there's a swimming pool clause and the property doesn't have a swimming pool. And you go, oh, well, this, the lawyer wasn't even, yeah. didn't pay any attention to the yeah. clauses in this contract. They just pulled them out of a filing cabinet, slotted them in. And yeah, it. exactly.
2: That's right. I mean, sometimes, you, yeah. And you think about like, yeah, the fact that you're relying on this report to raise levies mm. and it, as an owner or a future investor mm. in the property, you're relying
0: on them to think, well, hang on. Like, and so it can be quite a. But that, but that still doesn't take into account the idea that, well, if it's been built badly, no. that stuff's not going to, going to no. be flagged in that. You're not going to find that out until it starts raining or no. until your pool on the roof starts leaking or, yeah, exactly. or until yeah. somebody complains. Yeah,
2: I mean, that report assumes everything as it was at the time of inspection yeah. has a lifespan based on, you know, where it is in its life cycle mm. and then therefore you can try and amortise the cost of the plant and equipment and painting, et cetera, over well 10-year period is what the reports have to Give now to, to mm.
1: so I've got a client at the moment just recently and they came to me and I was like, well, we've got a building, it's a newer building and it's not, they're overlooking quite a busy road and not their forever house. They were a first home buyer, they bought into the building and then he works in construction. So then he's like, well, I'm going to go on the strata. and <laughs> then So he goes on the strata and he just starts finding more problems with the building and they keep finding more and more and And he's trying to do a real professional job on the strata and everyone's saying, mate, we can't do it like this because we don't want to get this into the report because then if other people start hearing Mm -hmm. about it and it became this kind of, he's trying to do things by the book and they're trying to like keep Mm. things off the strata. You'd be
2: surprised at some buildings, um, like let's say I'll go to a meeting and I do the minutes and they'll say, no, take that out, take that out. Because, again, if someone's Mm. buying in, it's going to affect the values of our our apartments. And I think to myself, well, because we only have partial delegated authority under our agency agreement, so I'm not the full secretary, I only have partial. So the secretary tells me you've got to amend that, as long as it's not illegal. Like taking something out is not as bad as, you know, totally misstating a fact.
0: But Mm. it's lying by omission. Yeah,
2: exactly. And sometimes I'll just say, well, to people, okay, if you want to do that, it's fine, but off our letterhead. Like you want to issue these minutes in this form, fine. Off, my, off our letterhead, you will issue them. We will say that you've prepared these minutes. Yeah. We haven't prepared them because, you know, when you know something's not right, you don't want to.
0: So a tip for buyers. Mm. If you see the minutes and they're not on the letterhead of the strata manager, then ask why. Yeah. Well, sometimes mm. they like to hold their own meetings, Veronica, because
2: they want to save money. So they don't want me to attend because obviously there's an hourly rate that we we charge for attending meetings. So in one particular case, I just had received some minutes. So it's interesting when I read minutes that other people have prepared because. When I train my staff to write minutes, I always tell them that you need to write minutes so that if you weren't at the meeting, would you understand what yeah. happened? Because sometimes when you're at a meeting, you understand what you mean because you were there. You understand the context, you understand what was said. But for a third party, like you're assisting a buyer, Veronica, and, you've, and no one's ever seen, you've, you've never actually been to that building, then how would, you know, you, you're reading it with sort of, to me, it's not necessarily clear what they're trying to say. So this particular minute said, we approve the quotation from the window company, option one. What does that mean?
1: Well, <laughs> I mean, it's the same for me for file That was $120,000 about- option
2: one, actually. Option one, yeah. yeah. option one? <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. What, does it co- what is option one costing? Yeah. Now, they have their own meetings, but the- unfortunately, if I was a buyer reading these minutes, now I had the quote, so I went up got the quote and said, oh, option one's that. But, again, they only have 120 in their whole account. So, again, I don't know how they're going to be doing option one, but that's all they have in the bank.
1: Now, just with that—that client, (laughs) I was
0: wishful thinking once
2: again. Yeah.
1: That story that I was just explaining there—I mean, so once they kind of got everything that was wrong with the building, they went and got all the quotes. But what you know, what do you do? Is if you own that building and you want to get out because you know long term it doesn't suit you, yeah. You know, are you best to kind of usually wait till all the works are done? Are you just best to try to try to sell it on the market? For these guys, they were in their heart they were thinking, well, we're going to be better to sell this once everything's fixed. Yeah. But. You know that was going to take years.
2: Yeah, and also the amount you've got to put in in terms of levies. Mm. And again, I mean, I don't. I mean, obviously, I'm not in real estate as in like the selling side of it. But I don't. I mean, how do you know what the market's going to be like by the time you want to sell? Yeah. Like, yeah, you, are exactly. you better off cutting your loss, losses and running, or are you better to you know have some work starting to least so that potential purchasers could see? Well, hang on, they are doing some work. So even if one project is completed or being completed, it might give. And um, the building, you know, another buys some confidence that this building does actually want to fix But
1: well, the, the, and the end of that story is they did try to just sell it now yep. with the Strata report, which documents higher special levies, which is you know, basically painted a pretty bad picture of the building. And how and did it go? Needs all this work. And they sold on the open market to someone who never did the strata report. Wow. (laughs) There you go.
0: And I was about to say that you can put it on the market. Just hope you get one of those idiots. Talk (laughs) about a property dumbo.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, they were stressed about it. He did all the reports. He got all the quotes. They planned for these big $40,000 special levies. I think that proves karma. Yeah, yeah. No, I
0: think that actually is a really nice story. They've done the right thing, and some other idiot has not yeah. even taken advantage of it. You know, like. God. So, did, but did
2: they sell it at the price that they wanted to? Because I know a,
1: they've got even higher than they thought they were going to get. Because wow. I've got
2: a, I've got a building at the moment where there's a fire order, and unfortunately, this committee is not acting quickly enough. And and this woman was on the committee, and she said, I mean, I've had enough. I don't care. I'm going to sell this apartment. I don't care if I lose money on. I just want to be out." And so I think, oh, I hope she gets a good price. But your example sounds like a. Like a pretty good story service
1: departments I got a really horrible experience with those <laughs> watch service departments are something that very few investors buy which is a good thing yeah but if they do buy them the experience they get is horrendous generally can you explain I guess sometimes people if they're thinking about investing they think they're a great investment because they promise guaranteed rent and things yeah. like that mm, can you give yeah. us an example of you know how service departments really work on yeah your, I how mean you work with them
2: the only experience I've had was in a large building in Sussex Street down sort of towards the Harbour Bridge side of it. And I remember the there was a company, I think it was called The Oaks, and they end up sort of buying a lot of apartments from, like, sorry, renting apartments from owners and obviously providing returns. But a lot of complaints by the residential owners because, again, there was no consent and there was a whole big, like, this is like, ten you know, or 15 years ago this happened. But I don't really have much experience with those, the direct contact between the company and, you know, the owners. part that I'm more involved in is, the other residents who are unoccupied and how they basically have to deal with this transient population where people don't care and they, you know, if two cases, you know, hit the walls as they, they're leaving or they don't recycle and they put rubbish in the wrong bins or rubbish overflow or they have, you know, parties
0: and things and Another so. can of worms we can get into, but we won't write the, no. the whole <laughs> Airbnb thing. Yeah, exactly. Now, you mentioned earlier about the Capital Works Fund Forecast. Yes. Now, it used to be known as the Sinking Fund Forecast. Yeah. I've been interested in this because... In recent years, it was legislated that every building had to have one and that yeah. was phased in over some years, wasn't it? Yes. It's also, as I understand, legislated they need to get it updated every five years, that's correct? That's correct. However, it's not legislated that they need to follow it. That's exactly
2: right. And that's the problem that we have because to me it's like a toothless tiger. There's no point having a report that you don't have to even stick to or even look at. So I think what we try and tell our owners is that please use it as a guideline, even if you don't want to sort of raise exactly what it's saying. Sometimes things have to be brought forward. Like it might say, "Year six, you've got to, you know, um, do some painting, but maybe actually year four, that painting has to be done because it can't wait. And sometimes some things can be pushed out. Obviously, you know, like it's it's an average of their life expectancy in terms of what the report says. But I also use it as a tool. So let's say in this particular building where we referred to where you have the older, older people and the young, few young people. And the forecast is saying we should raise 60. And I'm saying let's raise 30 at least. So at least I use it as a tool to say, hang on, you don't even want to raise levies. The report's saying 60. You need to have a closing balance of X by financial year ending 19. I'm saying we need to at least raise 30. Keep going, yeah. Yeah, so at least Mm -hmm. to me, even if they don't follow it, which I think is difficult, but at least if I can use it as a tool to say, You're only raising half of what you should be, so you're really behind the eight ball. But at least it's something that I have that I can attest to that's done by a professional person and it gives me some credibility when I'm trying to fight to have levies set at a reasonable rate
0: depending on the needs of the building. But you're fighting for that. Now, I've met and dealt with a lot of strata managers in my time and I don't meet many that are very proactive at all. They're very reactive. Yeah. They often don't lead the owner's corporation. They don't make suggestions. They don't. And and in fact, the building you're talking about in Dover Heights, you know, where the the six owners have got together. That's a great idea. And, you know, there's a real value add. Imagine if you had a strata manager that provided that sort of service, but I imagine it's not not within the scope because they don't pay you enough to do that yeah. sort of thing. I often find with my clients, once they buy into a building, we'll, we'll often talk about, well, is this a really active owner's corporation? Do they yeah. really seem on top of it or are they really not? There's this big continuum or are they sort yeah. of in the middle and they're sort of a bit neither here nor there. But once they actually get into the building, they get to own the building, they actually get to meet the manager, they go to the meetings and all the rest of it, they start to get a real feeling for the quality or calibre of that yeah. managing agent. Yeah. Now, how do they go through? The process of trying to change
2: agents. Okay, well under the new legislation now, before an agent could be appointed for X amount of years, there was no sort of limit in legislation. Now the maximum is three years, so every strata management contract now can't exceed three years, and therefore you have to look at the current agency agreement and see how long you're in there for, and see is it coming to its expiry. That's really the only time that you can change. But if there is disputes or non-performance, then you can go through the Dispute resolution clauses that are contained within the agency agreement. And now you can even go to the tribunal. The Act now allows for more action to be taken against time managing agents for not complying with their obligations pursuant to their agency agreement. But also, people don't really understand, as you were saying before, Veronica, what is contained in the agency agreement? What am I being paid to do? What is then charged at an extra rate? Because I just had a recent building that came to me and they said to me, Oh, you know, I gave them a quote and they said, Oh, you're more expensive agents. I said, Well, I understand that. I said, But Basically, I said, if I look at two buildings side by side, I know what I will charge. Let's say they've both got 12 apartments, one roof, one's highly tenanted and they don't maintain the building. The other one's a lot of occupies and they care and they report things and repairs yeah. are attended to in a timely manner. Well, then I can charge you the same, what we call our base management fee to do certain things. But then anything outside of that, I said, you know, I'll be writing letters, issuing work orders. For that building that's highly tenanted and has complaints, whereas whereas the other one that's run smooth, how can I charge you the same price? It's because you've got 12 apartments. That means nothing. Mm, Interesting, Yeah, so people don't really understand, like, in terms of managing agents' work and what we have to do. And I actually have a client who I used to manage his building when I first started at my previous company, and... In two thousand and three, and anyway, and so he was with us for a long time. Then, obviously, like I he went to another manager and ended up leaving. But now he's become a Strata manager,
1: mm. <laughs> and
2: he said to me, "Oh my God, I, mean, I didn't realize I was such high maintenance." <laughs> I said, "Yeah, you were." <laughs> but um, they don't realize all the work that's involved. He I, mean, "I didn't realize that you did all this," and I said, "Yeah, people don't understand. Like, you know, you only see." sort of the face of, of the manager at the meeting yeah. and occasional emails, but you don't really understand what's happening. Probably the same as property managers. People well, I imagine understand.
1: there's always in diff- every profession there's, you know, people who are great, there's people who are average, yeah. people who are good and things like that. So I imagine the amazing ones are doing all these extra things. Yeah, I guess yeah but There's not many
2: in strata, unfortunately. It's not really a profession right. that's like, a, yeah. you're right about what you're saying, Chris, but unfortunately in strata because the barrier to entry has been quite low, it's really
0: unfortunately not sort of, Oh, I've got the same issue with buyer's agents. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but yeah. I guess the, the learning here for buyers is that if you have bought into a building and the strata is not really managing it in a way that's really getting the best result for the building Yeah, and... Don't be fearful about changing your strata manager. Oh, you no, know, definitely if, not. You know, get get the voice in there, get to the meetings, yep. yeah. find some alternative yeah. options. And see what's proactive. happening.
2: Yeah. And see, is it the manager, is it the committee? Like, yeah. you know, maybe the, yeah. the manager's trying, but the committee's sort of blocking every attempt. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. come to the yeah. meetings because you can you can yes. come to the meetings and you can listen. Yeah. Even though you're not on the strata committee, you can come to a meeting as an owner and listen to what's happening. But, yeah.
1: But then you can apply to join if you're an yeah.
2: owner. Well, only if there's a, like at the AGM, that's where the election takes place mm. of the committee. But if there's a vacancy, someone resigns or sells and there's yeah. a vacancy, you can join. But the number is actually set at the beginning. Maximum of nine, right? Nine, yeah.
0: And, you know, some buildings are like cartels. Yeah, oh, my God. You know, there, there are some <laughs> buildings. And, and you, I can see that quite often in the Strata Report <laughs> I too. I love that. Cartel. It's, it's, it's exactly what yeah. happens. <laughs> there was one property I looked at for a client some years ago in Darling Point, and it was Really interesting because there was no money in the sinking fund and yet they had you know a pool and they had a whole range of their lift they had really expensive things that could go wrong and then I look back in the history and they had a history of raising special levies whenever they needed anything done right so they just did not want to put money in there having it sitting there they wanted it in their own bank accounts that's what they say yep. to me often why should I have it sitting there getting no interest
2: when yeah. I can have when I can use the money And invested elsewhere. But the thing was that (laughs) they had
0: this, and they had, you know, they had barristers and. SC's and you know, seriously, mm. influential and everyone, everyone wants and, to be in charge. Oh, yeah, and and they all know and more than you. <laughs> and this one, and this one was classy because what they did so they put solar heating in for the pool, and it was basically they a couple of people just decided they were doing it, they voted it in, and then just slapped a special levy on everyone. Everyone was forced to pay because a few people decided they needed solar heating, and it was like that was the culture of that building. Mm. And I said to my client, You know what? Yeah, sure, stuff gets done, sure, your levies are low, that's why your levies are low. You get whacked with special levies whenever someone. Else decides they want to do something mm. so on their agenda, not yours. Don't go into that building. Yeah, exactly, because especially if you're not in that intellectual league of that yeah.
2: building, I'll definitely have a go at you, Great which choice. happens. Yeah. And I think also in my more prestige buildings, I find that obviously people are very successful in their own lives and in their own professions, and they run the building as if they're the CEO of mm. the building. It's like I know, no, not your employees. It is a democratic, yeah. it's a democratic process to an extent.
1: Every week we hear incredible stories of the dumb things property buyers do, dumb things that end up costing them a whole lot of money and or creating a whole lot of stress, mistakes that can be avoided. Please, Amanda, help our listeners out here. Give us an example of a property dumbo. We can all learn what not to do from these stories.
2: Yeah, so I've got actually two examples. One was um, someone that actually bought into an apartment building and they actually had a pet and they didn't realize that in the bylaws you couldn't have a pet, so This person, you know, this is quite a strong building in terms of cartel, as you were mentioning. Um, They tried to then get a bylaw put on the next AGM, which they did to our pets, and that got got squashed. That person who'd bought this really expensive apartment had to end up basically renting it out being elsewhere because it would not entertain having a pet there. Another one I had um,
1: last year. Just while you're there, that's happened exactly the same thing to a client of mine. Oh, there you go. And fortunately, they approved the dog. Because it's oh. a little dog, and they went through so much pain and stress, but they mm. finally got approved. They, they just spent nine hundred thousand dollars on an apartment, and so it was too late. Mm. They couldn't do any. Mm. Luckily, they got the result. The dog's there. They're happy. I know uh, this but, building, but this person hasn't. Oh my
0: god! They're renting it out, so they bought their home, but it's not their home because their dog's more important. than the and also they got you know they got CCTV cameras, everywhere they could see that this person like it's. Not- had dog. I mean, let me tell you,
2: it's like. As an animal
1: lover and a pet lover, that's ridiculous. The building should allow pets, but anyway.
2: Yeah, no. That, well, a lot of people said at the meeting <laughs> when that was being contested, they said, well, you know, a lot of people said, we bought into this building because you couldn't have pets. Yeah. That's why oh. I bought in. So if you're going to change this, then I don't want So again, you mm. have this conflict of, of needs by different types of, you know, the elderly people didn't want dogs. younger people wanted the dogs.
0: And so that buyer, did they do a strata report? Well, I don't know. I don't recall them doing one,
2: so I can't say. But I know another example I have was where someone did a report, but they actually relied on, sorry, they didn't do a report themselves. They relied on the vendor's report. Uh. Again, I thought, I don't know, again, why would you do that? But that's another story. And so after she'd purchased the property, she rang me and said, well, you know, why are the levy still high? You know, I know there's a fire order, but I, you've already raised the levy. They're already high. And I said, no, if you look at the AGM minutes, I don't know, if she'd had or someone had explained them to her or the searcher had actually put in the report. But those levies were continuing for another three quarters at that high rate. And she said to me, but if I'd known this, I would have actually negotiated a better price with the vendor because if I knew the survey was continuing at a high rate, she thought it was just a one-off for the fire order. And the unfortunate thing with the fire order is that tenders that had been obtained were three years old. So we don't even have current pricing, so we're just you know, raising babies on an estimate. So they could even be higher. So this woman's think over two million dollars in the lower North Shore. I don't think she even lives here. I think she, like, did it remotely. I don't think she lives in the country. I think she must have been, I don't know who she was using to um, facilitate her purchase. But right on the Vendor's report, and I actually read the, she gave me a copy of it. It was interesting because I never get to see them. Mm. So the first time I thought, oh, and then I realized that there were some errors in there. And I thought, oh. I mean, I wasn't. I can't. look am not going to say anything now. It's, she's already done the. You know, too late. I mean,
1: I'm... so important just to make sure you know absolutely everything about the building, the history, the strata. Yeah. And you, uh, once you once you're in, you're in. So yeah, you know that's another... right.
2: And it's expensive to get out. Yep.
1: You can't unless yeah. unless
2: you have a good story like your friend that got <laughs> out with a like
1: yeah. getting
0: more than he than he thought he'd get. Well, that's yeah. relying on luck. That yeah. Is luck. Likewise those people that buy into strata without doing their due diligence they're also relying on luck and yeah. is just not enough luck going around no. so i wouldn't rely no, on luck definitely not. No. No, no, no 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 please ignore that story <laughs> <laughs> look thank you so much for coming in rena this has been so informative. And as we find in so many of our episodes, when we do interview people that are experts in their field, you just lift the veil and really just give us a, an inside peek. And, and it is a peek because, you know, we could have a podcast on about five different topics that we've even just touched on today. But yeah. thank you so much. I'm sure that the listeners will really get a lot out of it. And I'd love to get you back at a future time. We'll pick a topic and we'll deep dive. Would you be up for that? That would be fantastic. And thank you for having me. It's been
1: a Thanks, pleasure. Raina. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank, thank you. you. We want to make you a better elephant rider. And this week's elephant rider training is...
0: One of the things that we really heard loud and clear when listening to Rena was that there are really good practitioners out there and some pretty ordinary ones. And this is across the board. It really starts with your choice of lawyer. So before you buy a property you've got to get your contract looked at and particularly with strata you really need to make sure you're choosing a lawyer that understands not only property but strata and not only that but multifaceted developments if you're not getting a specialist god knows what advice you're not getting that you should be Further than that, your choice of strata inspector. So the people that provide you with the strata report. Now, Rena really talked a lot about the quality of reports and the amount of variance in that. So you really need to make sure you're getting a very in-depth report when you order a strata report. And if it doesn't have emails in there, correspondence between the committee and the manager, that's a definite red flag and you need to ask why. Tune in to our next episode when Chris and I have a forensic look at some serious property dumbos. This couple would have to be Australia's most famous property dumbos. Now, once I started investigating the background to this issue that they had some years ago, I uncovered a whole series of really, really sad and sorry mistakes that ultimately led to this problem. And you will want to listen because there's a lot of lessons in there for all of us.
1: Don't forget we're on all the social channels. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter.
0: Or you can connect with us on theelephantintheroom.com.au. The links are all there for you.
1: Please connect and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you.
0: The Elephant in the Room Property Podcast is recorded at the Sydney Sound Brewery. This week's podcast was recorded by John Risk. editorial by Gordie Fletcher.
1: Until next week, don't be a dumbo.
0: Now remember, everything we talked about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent who will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances with a statement of advice.